in on another episode of the Ian Mills podcast. This week I am talking to my brother Ryan Railsback and it's a fucking awesome conversation. Um, I apologize we kind of just dove right into it and by the time I hit record um, Ryan was already in the midst of telling a story about um, a vision that he had during a shamanjelic breathwork session in Sedona at the Fit for Service Summit, which you've probably heard me talk about a little bit by now. And uh, we just went rolling right into it. So um, I apologize for that. Hopefully you'll pick up the story from context. And then we get into this conversation and we talk about everything. We got real weird. Um, we're talking about different theories that we have around um, the illusion of time, around a soul's purpose, around free will. Talk about God, shadow work, masculinity. Uh, we really just get into all kinds of stuff. And it's, I mean, it was a blast for me to listen back on this conversation. And I think you'll all really enjoy it. Ryan is a fucking awesome guy. We connected really deeply when we met in Sedona and have begun to forge what I believe will be a lifelong friendship. He has his own podcast called the Ryan Railsback podcast, which I highly recommend everyone to check out. I will put a link to it in the show notes. And we actually recorded, when we recorded this episode, uh, we talked for about three hours straight. So we're splitting it into a two-parter, so the second one will come along in a couple of weeks. And yeah, again, as always, thank you so much for listening. It truly means so much to me. I'm thrilled and feel beyond blessed that this gets to be a part of my life and that I get to have these conversations with these incredible human beings and that there are people that want to listen to it. Um, I'm deeply grateful for that. So thank you. And if you want to show your support, the best ways to do that are to leave a rating and review on iTunes or to share this podcast with someone that you love. And without further ado, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Ryan Railsback. with like uh like angel wings and we were doing this like dance and like flying together and i turned into my my baby self and he was like holding me and comforting me and like calming me down and he we were doing like the ohm chant together and then we went into the memory and he was there this time and he gave me like the masculine support that i needed in that moment and it literally was like creating a new memory and like a new mm. almost like structuring a new timeline as if that is what happened and so that was a really big part of my breathwork uh vision and experience in in sedona Fuck, dude for first of all i just well i want to honor you and thank you for sharing that with me secondly it is pretty fucking scary how closely our lives mirror each other Really? Um, I had the same kind of experience when I was around six. Um, my father didn't pass away, but when him and my mom split, it I was left in the house with my mom and it created the same fucking rift. 
and the same intimacy issues like my entire life yeah stemming from that and it like always feels like this like responsibility that I have for my partner like I need to I need to make that person feel okay and if I leave like I don't know what's going to happen and it's going to be my fault if something goes wrong yeah but from the age of 13 all of my validation was tied up with sexuality like as soon as I officially lost my virginity um that was how I that was my biggest coping mechanism like yeah in the memory, when you were in that experience uh, during the breath work, did it feel like it was the spirit of your father with you in that new in that new lens when you were reshaping it? Or did it feel like you were taking on the role of your father disassociated from the younger you when that experience happened? Both of those have happened. So the first time when I was on psilocybin, it was me taking on the role of my father. And I was like, I was my self, my current self. And I was comforting my younger self as it was happening. And I could literally like feel the only way to describe it is I felt what I would perceive to be the love you feel towards a child. And it was the only time I've ever felt that. And it was towards myself. And it was like, it was like the love towards me. And so I was comforting myself. And then during the breathwork experience, uh, I wasn't there. It was just my inner child. I was like viewing the memory, but my father was actually there. And it was like his spirit and his form in his body and it was like in this the astral realm whatever it is and i've met my dad multiple times in the astral realm doing meditations and experiences and had conversations with him and it's like his spirit and still him in form of of my father and so yeah it was both the first time it was just me and then this last time it was actually him and he was there comforting me and nurturing me. Have you seen like ripples from that experience that you described when you were the one taking on the role of the father for your younger self? Have you seen ripples in that since then where you're, it's, it's easier for you to like access that kind of love for your inner child as you do shadow work and inner child work? Yeah. Um, that was probably the turning point. Um, I've always, not always like two and a half years ago, when I first jumped into the healing path, I, I understood pretty quickly that it was going to come down to the way I could nurture myself and, and self-communicate and show up for myself. But that was a major turning point was when I did feel that and I did give myself that nurturing love. And ever since then, I've really been able to view my inner child as that, as just like this obviously extended version of myself, but really show up in a accepting and compassionate way, like fully. And so that was, yes, that was a major turning point for being able to kind of um, coax my, my inner child out and the shadow of my inner child out, um, in a very compassionate and, um, safe way. Do you have like a tangible practice or process 
when that kind of experience comes up, like when you feel yourself um, reacting from the place of the like wounded inner child, is there a dialogue or a process that you go through to um, do that kind of work in a healthy way? Um, so now I'm getting much better at seeing myself in the moment and that coming up, but I loved what Kyle said at, uh, at the, in Sedona around like shadow work doesn't always have to be done in real time. And a lot of it's done in hindsight and I've done that. And I, I never really connected that concept of like, really being able to look backwards at it and kind of nurture it from that standpoint. But I am much better now about catching myself in the moment. And um, it's really comes down when it, when I'm seeing myself want to react in a certain way, I create the self-communication of everything is okay. Um, I, you know, you are safe you are seen. Um, and then just in general, when I do meditative practices with shadow work, I have a process of talking to my shadow and kind of bringing it out, um, in that accepting and compassionate way. And something that I actually did on the flight to Sedona was I first, I took a, I wrote a list of my shadow and all of the things that I'm fearful of and what I hold in there. Um, and then I wrote a letter to my shadow, which is the first time that I've ever done it. And it came up in the moment. I was like, Whoa, like I'm going to write a letter to you right now. And it was basically like, I have it right here somewhere, but it was essentially like, um, like I am, you know, I, I am here. I, so it's like, I want to start by saying, I love you. I am you and you are me and I cherish our bond. I know that in the past I have ignored you or chosen to judge you and I am sorry for that. I trust that you have already forgiven me because I know that you love unconditionally as do I, which means that I forgive you for everything and anything. I accept you in the fullest way and I always will. I would like to extend an invitation to you as I am ready to dance. Things don't have to be difficult. I am waiting on the dance floor so we can join hands and glide through this lifetime together as one. I trust you and surrender to you. There is no more resistance. I believe in us as a team and I have faith in all the teachings and wisdom you bring forth. I am here waiting with open arms to give you the warmest embrace you've ever known. I will see you soon. And ever since then in Sedona and after, it's been much easier to recognize my shadow and to see it with ease and less resistance of like, I, it's just, it is me. I, I am not becoming my shadow and I don't sink into my shadow. Maybe at times I do when it comes out in the moment, but it's much easier to see it without creating the resistance of like trying to push it away and then recognizing like, Oh, that's what I did. That was my shadow. I like, I I've, I feel like I've created the space to kind of welcome it out. That's fucking potent and beautiful. Like I love, I love that practice and I want to try that practice. And it's almost like, it's like a ceremony separating 
not not separating your shadow from yourself because it i mean it is a part of you as you said but like creating the distinguishing factor of like this is when i'm acting in my shadow this is my shadow this is what he needs to hear and then this is me this is like my higher self and then we come then we can like come to the place where we're integrated and we can bring the two together and live like a healthy human existence but it it feels like it has to start with that separation of the two um or at the very least like getting the shadow out of the fucking driver's seat because i think that's what so many of us experience and i also really really appreciated and resonated what kyle shared and i've been um i've been working a lot around the shadow of my own and then also in uh circle and that is what that is the the big like just to put the shadow in simplest terms it's the part of you acting out of integrity with your actual values and your actual morals and what you really want for your life. And so to really identify where the shadow is acting, we have to know what our values are. Like, yeah. what do like what do we actually want? How do we want to spend our day? How do we want to spend our free time? How do we want to interact with people and treat other people? And once we have that kind of like ethos or the North Star to point towards, then in hindsight, it's really easy to look back at the last week or month or even your entire fucking life and be like, oh yeah, I was not, I was not acting in integrity there or there or there or there or there. That was my shadow. And then we can, then we can get into what was the thing that triggered me into reacting from my shadow? Not just like, what did I do? But why did I do it in that way? And I think that's when it gets into inner child work because that's where so much of this starts. But but once we know the pattern, like you said, it's way easier to see ourselves in the pattern. But just, I mean, I, I can even think of times in the last like two days where I'm acting in the shadow and they're little things. It's like getting on my phone first thing in the morning when I wake up, like that's a part of me acting in the shadow. That's not what I actually want. That's not integrity with my day. That's going to actually like fuck up the whole day for me. But it's those like it can come up in the subtlest ways it's yeah. not always like this big big thing sometimes it's fucking small really small and difficult to see yeah absolutely and i specifically around the phone thing i've created a really good habit for myself around not looking at my phone in the morning but sometimes i do the same thing i find myself like finding that urge to just check Instagram real quick or look at the texts that were, that were sent to me before I woke up. And it's almost like that being aware of that choice is the first step in healing it because the awareness is creating that like flashlight of attention on it. And you're shining a light on it rather than just doing it and then falling into the story of judging yourself for it. And it's like, it's almost like, immediate forgiveness and acceptance mm. of like, okay, I did that. It's fine. It's all good. But exactly like you said, that's not exactly how I necessarily want to be acting or making choices moving forward in regards to the highest version of me that is there and that is always available. I uh, And it's like, I love with the archetypes too, how there's, you know, there's the, the light side and there's the shadow side and it's the same with the ego and the ego is a really confusing concept because it's 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 us <laughs> it's our sense of self we can't 
we can't live without the ego. And so this idea of like ego death is very confusing because you're not really killing the ego, you're killing the constructs that it has attached to and used to identify with. And so you're recreating the narratives and the ideas that you're using to identify with. And so for me, being able to separate myself from any sort of fear that the ego produces. So if you group together the emotions of the ego, um, you know, all the lower self ones, which are judgment, anger, shame, guilt, resentment, um, all of those things are kind of grouped in the lower vibrational ones. And then the higher ones are, are joy, happiness, um, love, you know, whoever's listening can, can get the picture. And immediately being able to recognize where the story is coming from. Um, if it includes any sort of fear, then I immediately know that it's my shadow. And I immediately can recognize that like this, at first it was, this isn't me. This isn't who I truly am. And now it's coming to a point of integration of like, this is me, but this isn't like what you said, this isn't acting out of my higher self or the light form of my ego. It is the shadow. And so really being able to distinguish of like the grouped kind of emotions and the group stories and where they're coming from and being able to detach from that quickly and seeing like, oh no, this is, this is my shadow acting out. And actually one of the things that first helped me with that was Eric Godsey's journaling course. And, um, going through the stories of like Prometheus and, and different things like that. And talking about how there's the two entities of conscious consciousness that live within us. And there's like the daemon, the intuition, the higher self, and then there's the ego on, and it's like, it can be differentiated into sides of your body. But what really woke me up around that was doing the eye gazing exercise that came with it. And it was looking in the mirror at myself and seeing my right eye in the mirror look from a shadow perspective. And I saw like, holy shit, there literally is two forms of consciousness within me. And that night, my shadow made itself known when I was drinking because my shadow used to used to make itself known with, with overconsumption of alcohol in social situations. And I really worked through that and got rid of that, but clearly I still needed a part of healing around it. And the night that I did that eye gazing exercise, I was looking at my eye, the right side of my body where I could see the shadow coming through. And it looked like it was like, I'm going to get you. Like I'm, I'm going to get you. And I wrote that down. I was like, it looked like my eye was saying like, I'm going to get you. And that night, that happened when I was out and I drank too much in a social setting. And the next day it like cemented this understanding within me of recognizing when those stories are coming out from that shadow side of my ego, basically. And before we go any further, I just want to say 
Welcome to the episode, everybody. We 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 went right into it. There's no intro. If you're listening, thank you for for tuning in. We're very appreciative of you, and we're gonna keep this rolling because it's very fun. <laughs> yep, I'm. Ar- we're already recording. We're fucking in it, man. Um, yeah, I really love the way that you framed that idea of ego death because I think, especially in like the plant medicine and psychedelic world, we talk about ego death a lot, and I've certainly experienced it. But like you said, it's not like our ego actually dies and never comes back. I think the opportunity that we get in that space is to reframe the kind of values and identity that the ego identifies with. So yeah, we can certainly be operating in that lower vibrational sense in the shadow sense of the ego, but we can train our ego to identify with all of the good things as well. Like we can feed our ego with the stuff that is actually like helpful and beneficial to us. Like fucking podcasting is a great example. I love podcasting deeply. Like I'm so grateful that it's something that I get to do with my life and it's part of my life, but it for sure feeds my ego. Like it's dope. I get to talk about stuff that I'm interested in. I get to connect with really cool people. Um, I get to have people listen to what I'm saying. Like all of those are pieces that my ego is like, yeah, cool, cool. Keep doing that. This is dope. But in the past, that same ego could be identified with like, oh, I'm like terrified of what people are going to think of me and that they're going to reject everything that I'm saying. And that like that thing that I said at the 34 minute mark, they're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about, Ian? It's like both of those sides can come through so clearly for me. Um, but yeah, I love I love what you said, and I've never really heard it that way. It's that the ego is, what did you say? That it's not entirely our sense of self. It's like the constructs that we build around who we are. Like our, as our sense of self develops and as we train it to be like, in the past, my ego thought of me as a really shitty person because I like objectified women and I drank a lot. And I didn't really care about myself or my body or the people that I was interacting with. But as I shift those things about myself, as I practice being a new way, my ego identifies as a new thing. And now, like, my relationship with it is definitely not as healthy as it can be. But it's like incrementally getting closer to that space where my ego like wants to be a good person and identifies with being a good person. Yeah, 100%. And I think that that it always wants to be a good person and that it allows up until, you know, these points of awareness and these points of healing, that is the goal of it because it's showing us the perception of ourself. And like, we need that here on this earth plane to perceive ourselves. And it's, uh, I've heard the concept um, do you follow the holistic psychologist I on do. Instagram? Yeah. yeah. Her name's Dr. Nicole Pena. I could, I could have that wrong. We'll link to her, mm-hmm. uh, her social media in the show description, but she calls it reparenting and it's like showing up for that ego, for that inner child and that sense of self in the way that it wasn't showed up for throughout when you were growing up. And so when it tries to hook onto that story of, of judgment for making choices of uh, whatever it may be of trying to 
take control or stay safe. It's like almost reparenting it in a nurturing way with compassion and acceptance to show that everything is okay. And I think it's like a process of like you're in a car and the ego as you grow up, it's like, it's the driver, it's in the driver's seat and it forms it what when you're it starts to form when you're like three or four i think and so it starts to come online and the the way i heard it explained in the book how to change your mind by michael pollan Mm -hmm. Uh, have you read that i have not um so it's like the new science it's the scientific studies of lsd and psilocybin so it's like relating how psychedelics and plant medicine are essentially connected to everything that we experience in consciousness but he goes into a lot of neuroscience around it and that was the first time i'd ever understood what the ego was and he basically says that as we grow up when the ego is coming online through experiences we create complexes and so through a group of like three different experiences or associations will create one complex and we create the associations in that complex. And then as we grow up, we create all these different complexes and it turns into like 60 to 70 of these associative complexes around different experiences. And then the overarching consciousness of those complexes is the voice of the ego. And so whether those complexes and usually the ego because it's based around safety and fear it's all based around like what can i do to get more of this or what can i do to get less of this based on what you think you did to deserve that experience and so even if it's a positive uh reinforcement of love it can create that conditional format of love because it's like okay in order to get that again I need to do what I did to receive that. And it revolves around this concept that I learned about called pigeon superstition. And it's a psychology uh, experiment where they're giving pigeons treats through an automatic timer. And every time the timer opens up to give the pigeon a treat, the pigeon, if it was flapping its wings, when that door opened up, it will think, because I flapped my wings, the door opened and it gave me a treat. And it's all based around the question, what did I do to deserve this? Dude, this, so this is making me think a lot of, of some stuff that I wrote and, or um, read about in Godzi's trauma article, which we will also put in the show description. Cause like, I'm not going to get this 100%, but it's, it's fucking on point. And I immediately connected so deeply with it. And essentially, it's the concept that there we have an animal body that has been existing for millions of years as we've evolved as humans to our current state. And that animal body um, thinks and relates an instinct and feeling the oldest parts of our brain, they don't have anything to do with language. And so the animal body, when it encounters a traumatic incident, like when it's sent into a fight or flight or freeze response, if if something inhibits it from acting out that energy that was brought into it. So for instance, like um, if if I'm in a if I'm in a diner and a gunman comes in to rob the place, and my instinct tells me you need to either like 
fight, like turn this table up and fucking get behind it and defend yourself, or you need to book it for the nearest exit. But something prevents me from fulfilling that instinctual response. That energy will get trapped in my body until I go back into that memory and like do the physical response that my body wanted to do. It will live in me forever and I will perpetually be in that state of fight or flight. Um, And so essentially this idea of trauma is that you can't actually think your way out of it. You can't conceptualize it because what happens when you don't process it in the moment, in the physical realm, like in the animal body, is the storyteller body, the ego, will create a story and a justification for why you start coping in response to that thing. So if you like can never connect with someone fully again, because of that incident where someone threatened your life, you will create a story and a justification around why that is right and why you don't need to change. Because that's the, that's like the thinking brain, the human brain creating the reason why you are the way you are, rather than letting the animal brain and the animal intelligence actually act out the thing that you needed to do. And for like for real this thing is blowing my fucking mind like it it completely it allowed me the space to like revisit pretty much every traumatic incident in my life and reflect on like did I actually like did I do that do I have a coping mechanism there that's based on this thing and I know I do for some things Um, like around sexuality, it was in response to that situation I was in when I was six. And that's where so much of it has come from. And I'm um, fortunate to have been able to work through that in some different modalities. But like that stuck with me my entire life. And it didn't ever feel like I was doing something wrong when I was acting out in it. When I was in the shadow, pretty much the whole time, I wasn't like, this is bad. I'm not supposed to be doing this. It was just like, this is the way that I am. Yeah. It's just the way that I am. Cause I like had such an elaborate story in my mind around why I am the way that I am, that it never occurred to me that that might not be the right way. Yeah, completely. I resonate with that very, very deeply. And something interesting that's coming up as you say that as i've heard it described with the animal body like uh when like a dog uh say a dog runs into like a glass door and it it shakes Mm -hmm. and it it's in that moment it like like shakes its whole body to release the energy so it doesn't get trapped in its body but because of our ego and our sense of self then we automatically create that story around that energy and so like you said if it doesn't get uh fulfilled or acted upon in that moment then i've heard it described as the memory and the emotion with the memory split and the Mm. memory goes into your mind and into your unconscious or subconscious whatever it is and then the energy from the emotion gets then stored in the body. And so then you have these things that are completely split. And so even if you 
you know, forget the memory by putting it in the black box in your mind, that energy is still in there. And so that energy is going to perpetuate the story. And so I haven't even thought about it this way before, but it almost seems like the first step in like healing that is going back in and accepting all of it and kind of like, and, and feeling the, and understanding the emotions that you had in that experience and kind of resealing the, um, the emotion and the energy with the memory. And then as Joe Dispenza talks about all the time is that you can actually go back into the memory from an elevated emotion at that point and reconfigure the energy around that memory. So you can actually put joy and gratitude uh, towards that memory and that is killing off an aspect of the ego identity. And so that part mm. like almost healed to bring it full circle. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking wild. And like, that's why, um, and I, I spoke to Godzi a little bit about this when we did the podcast. And that's what he was talking about is his new approach to trauma. Because, you know, his things journaling. Like that was a joke when I joined FFS was Claire was like, if you, if you choose Godzi as your coaching call, like he's just going to tell you to fucking journal. <laughs> <laughs> but, but while he was writing this article that like, this is all the info this, I mean, I have fucking five pages of notes on it. Like every five minutes I was like sitting down, I'm like, holy shit, this is gold. So everyone read it. But um, that was the thing. It's like, it's not enough to conceptually intellectually go back into the memory and reconfigure it you can't because that's basing that on the assumption that the entirety of your being is your mind and mm -hmm. it's not your brain is also in your heart and it's also in your stomach and it's also in like every cell of your body so in order to and that's why um embodiment practices are so fucking huge because if you can tap into that memory where your body needed to flee or fight or respond in some way but you weren't able to and if you can go back into that memory and then with an embodiment practice like breath work or yoga or any kind of like exercise or even just shaking your body like that can be enough to fulfill the need that wasn't met in that moment by your animal brain and that can and I think in combination with what you're talking about, um, what, what Joe Dispenza talks about, it gives you the ability to reshape what happened to you and to actually, it's like the, um, the evolutionary response needs to be fulfilled or your, your brain is constantly asking, what is the adaptive thing to do? And the adaptive thing can, to do becomes a coping mechanism when the evolutionary response is not fulfilled and that look i mean we could fucking list millions of things but for most people it's like avoidance um procrastination not making commitments overindulging with substances or sexual partners or being afraid of having sexual partners or like all of these little aspects that a lot of people just chalk up to that's just who i am and it's not like it's actually if you if you went back guaranteed you could find an incident in your life where that habit 
started because something traumatized you and you weren't able to fulfill what the evolutionary response was. But by the time we're adults, if we haven't done this kind of work, we have so many stories and justifications going on in our mind that it just becomes like, that's just who I am. The ego is just like, yep, that's me. I am this way and I am this way and I am this way. And that's just the way it is. And we give away all of our power to that thing. Yeah, completely. And like for me, uh, when I was, we were talking, I don't know if this was on the recording or before, but when I experienced that sexual trauma, when I was, I, I, it was in between three and four, but my first awareness around that and how I carry that energy into the, the, the present moment in my current life was, uh, I went to therapy for, uh, like four or five sessions, but then I ended up stopping because I wasn't really resonated with it. But something that really helped a lot was she asked when I told her this, like, well, how did you feel when this happened? You know, so because I said it was a, it was a multiple occurring thing. It happened many times over that, you know, then my mom would find out that it happened that uh, me and this older boy that I had basically been like kind of coerced and coaxed into um, doing sexual things. I, and then the reaction from it was like, Oh no, like you can't do that. That's wrong. You know, different things like that. But here I am being coerced by being told, well, this is okay. This is fine. The confusion around it, was the energy that I had stored in there. And then when uh, an adult would find out um, the shame from that and then the shame not being worked with. So those were the two biggest things and probably guilt and judgment and, and plenty of other things that kind of worked their way in there too. But those were that was the energy that I was showing up with for anything sexual. And it wasn't, it didn't even have to be... Um, in the act or the act occurring, it was just thinking about it. And so what this did in high school, cause you know, as you're starting to become more sexually intimate with, with people in high school, it created so much anxiety for me going to parties and going to socialize because I would have this idea of like, oh, well, what happens when you go to parties? You, you go home with a girl possibly, or, you know, vice versa, if you're a girl and uh, you, you have sex with someone. And so then the anxiety would start running right there. And what I did, as you said before, was I found the magical tool of alcohol to suppress that shame and that confusion. And so the band-aid that I used to uh, move through the underlying shame and confusion, which I didn't even know that it was there, it was just anxiety for me. I used alcohol to, um, to, to bandage that wound. And so that turned into every time I was in a social situation and there was alcohol, I would drink to mask that just in the possibility that there would be sexual action. Yeah, dude, that's it's it's fucking wild. It really is. And that brings up a really interesting point. Um, and again, like, yeah, because I don't think we were recording when you said that before, but thank you for 
sharing that so vulnerably and authentically on here. It's, it's, uh, I, again, it's really kind of blowing my mind how parallel our lives have been in that way. I had the exact same situation down to what you're describing around, like, it comes up as anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's the really interesting thing is these sin- syndromes that we label as anxiety or depression or PTSD or bipolar or whatever the thing is, like you just essentially described what that actually is, which is you developing a coping mechanism around like, like there was an incident when you were young that created this thing, but we don't think about healing the wound that was inflicted on you when you were young. We just think about masking the symptoms that come up with it later. And that's, that to me is the biggest disconnect with the mental health and just health industry in general is that like all of these things, all of like exactly what you just described, this incident when you were three or four years old created anxiety that then presented itself with these coping mechanisms in way that ways that you needed to just like bring yourself back to a baseline level of I'm okay. And now if something does come up, I'm fucking ready to face it because I've numbed myself out and I don't need to feel the anxiety. But the anxiety is not the wound. Yeah. Like having like experiencing anxiety is not the trauma, is not the wound. It's just a byproduct of this thing. Mm-hmm. So healing these these um I mean I don't need, like disorders or whatever whatever you want to call them, it doesn't inv- like it doesn't have to involve like numbing yourself for the rest of your life. It's like identifying where this happened, where did it start and actually healing that wound. And that I've been really fired up about ketamine therapy lately, MDMA therapy as well. And I was just listening to um, a podcast with Eric and this guy named Will Ratliff, I think. And he is the owner, operator, and one of the administrators of ketamine in this licensed facility in Austin called, I think, Transcend or something like along those lines. And, um, and that's the work that they're able to do. Like with this, it's and it's not like, you're gonna have to take ketamine for the rest of your life to feel okay. It's like, you're gonna have to go in for three or four or maybe five sessions, and you will be healed. Yeah. Like we can actually heal these things. It's, it's incredible, but there's an entire industry built around. And I don't think that this is like a conspiracy theory necessarily where we're like, no, we don't want to actually heal, heal people's mental illnesses. We want to make money off of them forever. I think it's just, we didn't know any better until recently. And now all of this is starting to come up and we're actually recognizing like we can fix this. Yeah, It's just going to take a lot of people like are going to be uncomfortable with that. It's like, how do we fix it? Well, psychedelic medicines are a big fucking part of how we fix it because that's how we disassociate from the ego that's how we create the space to rewrite what the ego believes to be true yeah i love that you just brought that up about mental health and kind of diagnosing and 
because I've really been trying to understand this for the last year or so um, around that and like how, so like a beautiful tool from the ego is the compartmentalization aspect and the kind of like putting something in a box in order to understand it and in order to label it, to, to name it and to see what it is. But that's gone so far onto the side of like exactly what you said of any sort of thing or story or whatever is happening in someone's mental space becomes a compartmentalized, well, this is what we're told is the diagnosis of it. And it's like a tool to make us feel safe, to make the ego feel safe, like it understands something. But a lot of this healing comes from unknown territory. It comes from uncertainty and unknown tools that we haven't been accustomed to before. And so it's this whole system that's been built around compartmentalizing and putting something in a box in order to identify what it is. But then the problem with that is by diagnosing it and, and, and say, and identifying what the disease or the symptom is that creates the perception that there's something wrong. And then that creates another story with the, with the ego mm. that create that perpetuates that diagnosis into the identity of yourself. And so by diagnosing things and telling people, oh, well, oh, you're bipolar or you have anxiety, you're clinically depressed. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing any of these things that people go to because these are very, that people go through because these are very real things. But I'm just saying that I think that there are ways to heal them and to work through them rather than saying like, this is what's wrong with you. And so then the ego immediately creates validation of like, I knew there was something wrong with me. I knew it. And then that story then becomes exactly what you said. I am this anxiety. I am this depression. And I am is the most powerful two words that we could ever put in front of anything else. Because I am is what creates the sense of identity. And then so if you're attacking I am anxiety. I am an anxious person. I am someone who has anxiety. That might be a little bit different, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's more so of, I have the experience of anxiety that mm. I could work through. Not like I am this anxiety. It's just all about like the story that then becomes part of the identity. And so I think the biggest thing for people to remember and to understand is that like, there's nothing wrong with you ever. There's definitely, there's nothing ever wrong with you. It's always things that can be worked through and things that can be understood. And by tacking a story like that onto yourself, that becomes part of your ego. That becomes part of your sense of yourself. And the ego will always perpetuate what those stories are because that's safety. That's, that's perpetuating the known. And so being able to detach from those stories and removing the I am aspect and just that I, I have this experience. I, I currently experience these things. It helps create kind of like that separation there. 
Absolutely, man. I love so much what you said about I am being the most powerful combination of words that that we can stick before anything. You're, you know, you're absolutely right. Like that is how we shape our identity and our language is the most, it is the most recently developed part of the human self, but it is also so fucking powerful. It's the most powerful part that we have. And it is also like the newest part that we have. So with that comes this kind of unbalance where we don't really recognize the weight of what we're saying. We don't really recognize the power that we have with our words. Like right now, you and I are recording a conversation for people to listen to in the future. <laughs> like just using our language, using our ability to tell stories and, and explain our thoughts. Like we're fucking time traveling. We're actually like casting spells right now, just with the way that we speak. Like the, the conversation we're having has the ability to drastically impact someone's future in six months or a year or five years like that's brilliant it's it's incredible but with that kind of power it can go either way so like you said when we start to identify i am depressed i've now given so much of my power away to that one thought where any time that comes up any time i'm experiencing that kind of feeling inherently i'm just going to jump to that conclusion of well i'm depressed so there's nothing I can do about it because this is just the way that I am rather than like I am currently experiencing feelings of depression because like you said, nothing's wrong with you. There's no shame in any of the coping mechanisms that you've developed to work through these traumas. We don't have this kind of, we're not taught these things. We're not taught when we're in elementary school, like, Hey kids, that time that your parents like withheld love for you because you did something wrong that's now going to follow you the rest of your life and make you feel like you have to be a certain way in order to be worthy of love. That's not true. And all you have to do is like revisit that feeling with like some new love and reparenting. Like no one fucking teaches us that. So all like all, all of these things, all of these feelings, emotions, they're sacred. They're beautiful. We're meant to be having them. That's the, amazing part of the human experience we don't just get to feel the tens like when we're on top of the world and we're feeling joy and ecstasy and love and sex and all of like the amazing things that make up being a human we also have to experience the ones the depression and the sadness and the anguish and the sorrow and all of it's perfect all of it's exactly what's intended but when we identify with any of the things even if we identify with the joy and the, if, if we identify with what's up here, when that's taken away from us, then we're left with like, well, who am I? Yeah. Like when COVID hit and all of a sudden millions of people don't have their job. And for the last 10 years, I've, I, you know, if I identify with like, I am a, I don't know, fill, fill in the blank with whatever the profession is. But if your identity is wrapped up in the thing that you do, and then you don't do that thing, what are you left with? Yeah, completely. I think about COVID and uh, sports and how sports were shut down and how people um, identify with sports teams and they mm. identify with being 
a part of that sports team or being a fan and how, when that is removed and like, you know, sports for some people completely dictates their experience. It completely dictates whether they feel happy, whether they feel sad, angry. Um, and again, it's not the thing it's how we work with the thing. And so being a fan of a sports team is perfectly like, beautiful but attaching that sense of identity to that then that's where you become the story for whatever that sports team is doing whatever occurs with that sports team and so like I love how you said you talked about the spectrum of emotions because like that is what we're here to experience we're here to experience all of them and it's a very large spectrum it's it, it's huge. And so we're, we, that's why the human experience is a roller coaster. We're all over the place, but we're meant to experience those things from the observer position, from the experiencer perspective, and not become those emotions. We are meant to observe them and to shine our attention and our awareness on them. And I always say, like, I have this theory that, uh, emotions and the stories that come with them carry data they they carry actual data that when we sit with them and we're present with them and we shine our awareness on them that data lights up codes in our dna and by letting it that like alchemizing those emotions and those stories and by being present with it and not falling into the story and observing it we're improving our sense of being and our sense of self because we can sit with these emotions and we soak up the data that is actually coming from them. I want to, I want to reiterate that to make sure I'm understanding it right. Cause I really love that concept. Um, essentially what you're saying is when we're experiencing an emotion um, that is basically like another piece of ourself coming through that we then have the potential to like actually feel and integrate and use on the ladder up to the highest capital P potential version of ourselves. But when we don't allow ourselves to feel it and we keep it like suppressed or we throw it away that we're kind of left stagnant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically that. And so like a lot of times we, because of technology in our lives, we can distract ourselves very easily. And so one that keeps it bottled down. And so that's just waiting to explode. And then if we become the emotion in that, uh, in that state when it's coming up and we become the story with it. And so if anger comes up and we completely react in that anger and, uh, and, and just follow the truth of that story that, you know, if someone triggers you or if someone does something that uh, stimulates the anger that comes up in you and you react in that anger, then that's teaching yourself to react in anger when more anger comes up. And, and so by being able to sit with it and let it move through you, because that's all it's doing. It's moving through you. It's not there to stay. None mm -hmm. of it's there to stay. And I love simplistically at how emotion is described as energy in motion. That's, that's mm -hmm. what it is. It's just energy in motion through you. And so when you're able to sit with it 
and let it move through you without becoming it or reacting in it and and responding to it by sitting with it, breathing into it, feeling it. You may be at your house and something happens and you sit on your couch, breathe into it, let it move through you. The next time you're in public and something triggers you or brings that anger up, you're going to remember that. You're going to remember that data that came through Mm. that says, I don't have to react in this. I don't have to become this. I can just sit with it and let it move through me. And I'm in control of my choice right now that where I'm coexisting with this energy that's moving through me. That's beautiful, man. It's like, it feels like an evolution of like the student mindset. Yeah. Whereas in, you know, every, um, everything that's coming into your life is an opportunity to teach you or to learn something from, or that's trying to give you a message. Like, I love that about the soul wander. And maybe we'll get into the soul wander a little bit while we're here. Cause that was Absolutely. coolest fucking experience in my life. Yeah. But essentially like everything, everything is a message. Um, from God or the universe or source or whatever word um, works for you. God's got a lot of weight behind it. But um, but yeah, essentially that, like every opportunity, every moment of your existence, there is something that could, like you're learning, you're growing. Literally, like your cells are turning over and dying and being reborn. Like your your heart is pumping blood through your body. You're breathing whether or not you're conscious of it. Like you're your body is constantly in a state of evolution. But I think that the soul is evolving with the moments that we allow ourselves to feel it and we allow it to come through. Like it's always there, spirit. Or I like that Tim differentiated between spirit and soul. Soul being the piece of you that's inherent to you Um, like your own unique kind of purpose in this lifetime spirit being the part of everything that is within everything. I love that. But I think that soul to me feels like, like it's always with us for sure. But when we're listening to the whisper of the soul and we're actually fulfilling what it wants us to fulfill, that's how it evolves and that's how it grows. It's not in days or weeks or months. It's growing as we allow it to come through and fulfill its purpose. And what you're talking about is so beautiful because it's like, it's not just the external sources that are trying to teach you something. It's not just the world around you that you need to be a student of. It's like actually being a student of your own emotion and what's actually happening in your own body, in your own psyche. Like every, everything that you feel is an opportunity to like feel it, integrate it, and then release it so that the next time you feel it, it's just faster and faster and faster. And eventually the time between is so short. It's like you're always remembering because, you know, we're constantly forgetting and remembering, but it just gets like a little quicker, the more and more you exercise that muscle of coming back to that state of like, I'm not that thing. I am not that emotion. I am not that job title. I am not that feeling. I am something so much more than that. Yeah, completely. And it's the identification with the soul rather than the ego. And it's like the identity is like the very multidimensional in a sense that like there are different aspects to it. But when the truth of your identity is the soul, then you're not, and, and that means that 
the truth of who you are is the observer, the experiencer of everything, then you're not identifying with all of the other things that revolve around that. And to like what you were saying, I think that all of the experience, all of the things we experience and all of uh, the stories that we create about ourselves, the healing process and becoming the observer is about understanding our freedom of choice. And it all comes down to the freedom of choice and free will, because it is said that the universe was created on free will, the creative consciousness, God, source, uh, divine intelligence, whatever, like you said, word you have that you want to use, it chose to create itself. It chose to, through the statement of I am, I am everything, created the big bang. And therefore, free will created the entire universe. And so the idea is to understand that you are your free will, that nothing dictates your free will, and that in every single moment, no matter what you are experiencing, you can choose how to respond. And whether that be an external circumstance or an internal circumstance, you are sovereign and you are free and for me i believe that that is kind of like the whole path of remembering yourself and remembering that you are an aspect of the creative consciousness you are an aspect of all that is because by utilizing your freedom of choice in every moment you create the reality that you choose this brings up a question in me more. I don't even know if it's a question. It's just like a thought. Um, and it's like, cause I'm, I'm with you 100% about free choice. And I think that choice, if, if I am is the most powerful statement that we have choice is the most powerful fucking thing that we have. Yeah. Like you said, like in the next five minutes, I could choose like, oh, this conversation is getting too intense for me. I think I'm going to cut it off and like, <laughs> I don't know, like go masturbate or like cry or get drunk, like whatever the fucking thing is like, or I could choose to keep diving in deeper and deeper into this conversation we're having. And I'm definitely going with the latter. But um, the, the thought that it brings up in my mind is like, if we do have a sole purpose, if this concept of soul exists and we do have this kind of very unique, um, we have this very unique gift to offer the world as a culmination of not just our spirit and our ego and our own personal traumas and our shadow and all that we've worked through, but also like just what that create. Cause it kind of feels to me like it's the combination of the ego and the spirit that makes the soul. It's, it's like my particular set of traumas and experiences combined with the like divine essence of what is inside of me creates the kind of purpose that I could fulfill in this life. Um, but so my question or thought then is, is our free choice just, is our, is our freedom of choice just the freedom to choose to follow that soul's purpose or do we get to actually choose and define what that purpose is? Or does it already exist inside of us? 
Ooh, we're getting deep. <laughs> we're getting deep and we're shooting way up into the ethers around this question. Yep, yep. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of different things that play into it, but I believe that we have an individualized personality and individualized aspects of our soul and different fractals of our soul, I guess you could say, that live, that come from a higher dimensional being, a higher dimensional being in this universe, whatever that may be, um, your soul comes from that point. And so as a whole, as the higher dimensional self, it has all of this data in it around what your role has been in the universe. But then when you incarnate in this human body, the mission of that ego, of that sense of self, is then incorporated with the higher dimensional purpose. And so it becomes like almost like a, a combination of understanding your role in the universe and what your role has been in the universe and how that can be combined with the current lifetime that you're incarnating as. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially um, this theory is that our soul before it comes down onto the earth to inhabit our human body has a purpose to fulfill and and with that purpose chooses the human lifetime to come into to get the exact series and set of like connections interaction trauma parents friends like like every piece of our life, it like chooses the right lifetime to come into to get the necessary like tools in order to fulfill its purpose as a human. Yeah. In order to add more experience to that higher dimensional aspect of soul. And so if this, this higher dimensional being that your soul comes from is above time, it's outside of time. And so it can perceive time and all of the timelines that exist simultaneously. It can choose what timeline to incarnate in. And so it can see the timeline that it wants to live through and it can choose that incarnation to live through that timeline to learn through that experience. And so like it could for people who have incarnated multiple times on this earth, it's not a linear reincarnation cycle. It can be, but it doesn't have to be like you incarnate, you incarnated somewhere in the 1700s and then you died. And then you incarnated somewhere in the 1800s and then you died. It's like, because that higher dimensional you piece of your soul is outside of time. It could have incarnated somewhere in 3000 40 <laughs> and, then it, and then it dies and then it jumps back into 1700 and it learns through that timeline. And so it's choosing what experience that 
it feels that it wants to learn in order to soak up more of that data and in order to experience that data that comes from learning through that spectrum of emotions to fulfill more of its higher dimensional soul's purpose and to learn through that. Okay, so this brings up two, two new things in me that I've never thought of before. The first one is that um, in keeping with that concept that our higher soul self is choosing the lifetime to come into to, to essentially gain the amount, the lessons that it needs to evolve higher as, a, as whatever kind of multidimensional being it is. Is that paradoxical in nature to the theory of free will if before we have inhabited this body, a different piece of ourselves chose to inhabit this body and have the exact experiences that this body in this lifetime is going to go through in order to reach some higher evolved state of itself is my first thought. My second thought is that it almost and this is getting real fucking deep and woo woo at this point. But if, if, and I'm not saying this is the case, but if there is some kind of divine master plan working out that our, our fucking human brains cannot possibly comprehend, like it, it just wouldn't work. We can get kind of close in psychedelics to like experiencing that world, but we always come back to this place of human con consciousness which is we shape our own reality but if there is some kind of divine master plan and the human race or the universe as a whole is working towards something beyond what is then it would almost make more sense for but 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 whatever creator being the everything doesn't know how to get there it would almost make sense that you're incarnations would start in the future where you've reached that point of evolution but then you have to go back in time through past lifetimes in order to find out the series of events that has to take place to reach the culmination of that thing does that make sense yeah it's making my head spin but i, <laughs> I, think I understand what you're saying but so the first part of like kind of having it with that concept be a paradox on free will and kind of compete with the idea of free will. Like, I think that you design before incarnating certain experiences and certain encounters with other souls that are incarnating as other human bodies. And so I think that there's free will within that and you're choosing, but there are certain experiences that you've designed that will help fulfill your soul's purpose in that lifetime. But mm. I think it's possible because free will exists that you don't go down that path that is for your highest self, because as you're dropping in through the dimensions into the third dimension in the human body, you're forgetting everything that you've known from that higher level. And so I think that sometimes what happens is that when someone incarnates in a human body, they never remember that higher dimensional aspect of themselves and they get caught in the fear 
that lives on this third dimension. And so getting stuck in that fear then creates free will that makes you travel away from your soul's path. But that doesn't mean that that path doesn't have meaning because it always has meaning because you're always learning. And so it could be like, and that's why all of this is kind of like, it's like a video game to me. It's like 100 fucking percent. It's all, yeah. it's all kind of like, it's humorous because it's like, you could go down this path and like completely forget the truth of who you are. And then you die and you jump up to the ethers and you're like, oh, fuck, I did it again. I forgot. Shit. Like, all right, I'm going to jump back in this time. <laughs> I, I think you were talking about this in mm -hmm. Sedona and you were like, I'm going to remember. This is the lifetime that I'm going to remember. And you create that sense. And so that's why going down the path of healing and going down the path of removing those layers is a path that is said of just remembering you're not you're not really learning you're unlearning mm -hmm. in order to remember all of the shit that you already know and so i think that there's like multiple possibilities from all of it but i think when you can get to that path and i think that there's deviations of the path of fulfilling your higher purpose too i don't think that it's one thing but it kind of all leads through the same like intertwined experiences and encounters but i do think that you could deviate from that and completely go off course and then be like oh well shit i forgot this time but i, learned I gotta something. jump back in again yeah, i'm gonna jump back in though and, and so then you can jump back in but i do think that there are kind of specific encounters that allow you to fulfill that higher sense of self um and then what was the second part that you I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the second part. I want to touch on a little more in that first. So it's almost like we have free choice at, at every level. Yeah. Um, like it feels to me that my, I mean, it feels to me like the essence of everything is love, right? Yeah. It's just acceptance, love, like everything's fucking beautiful. Everything is alive. Everything has meaning. But so there's kind of that like North Star, but what also feels to be true is that our soul in that multidimensional plane kind of gets to choose what its purpose is. Like almost like that's the first, the first layer of the free choice is like, I get to choose what I am going to experience in this lifetime for the betterment of myself or the entire world or all of the entire universe or existence. We're only on earth. So it's kind of hard to comprehend all of it, yeah. but then once we get into the human body, we regain our free will. And I think everyone can relate to the feeling of like the voice that is kind of gently guiding you to doing the thing that might be more difficult, a little harder is going to be diff hard for your ego, especially and choosing not to do it. Yeah. Like that's our free will every fucking day we can choose not to do the thing that we know we're being called to do. So it's like, we have the compass programmed into us. It's already there. And there, our free choice lies in like, how are we going to follow that compass? Like, yeah. are we going to choose to, are we going to choose to do the difficult thing? Or are we going to choose to kind of do the easy thing and the comfortable thing? So 
so it's like our free choice our our freedom of choice exists but a big part of it just lies in are you going to choose to do the thing that you know you're here to do exactly exactly and And like you said we can choose to deviate from it and come and have to come back again but yeah like you said about like when we were in Sedona it was like I feel like that was a part of my choice coming back into this lifetime like okay I'm going again yeah but I'm going to remember soon like in my 20s and I was I mean I was 21 when I had my first big awakening and I'm 24 now and the amount of stuff that's happened in the last three years is fucking crazy and even more so in the last six months and even more so in like the last like two months (laughs) (laughs) yeah even like three fucking weeks (laughs) it just like exponentially because you've learned that the fear is the compass Mm -hmm. that the fear and going it points you in the direction of growth and it points you in the direction of the growth edge and so that is what continue you continue to break that down and you move through the fear and so i've even heard a concept that like the human experience the earth game that when it was first designed the ego didn't didn't really exist and so people <laughs> as humans they were too easily finding their way back to remembering and it wasn't hard enough and it wasn't challenging enough and so The ego was specifically a program that was put in place with the fear because it makes the resistance more difficult and it makes it harder to remember and to move through that. And so that's why going head on at the wall of fear is the compass because the fear is meant to hold you there. It's meant to hold you in place in order to remember that you are a sovereign being and the fear does not have to dictate your free will and you can choose to allow it to dictate your free will and that is still learning that is still creating meaning and purpose but moving into the path of that highest growth and that highest benefit is using the fear as a compass because then is what you said like it is felt throughout all of the universe. It is felt not just within yourself. Like if the entire universe is one, it's all united. It's all a piece and an extension of the one creative consciousness. Then all of that data that is being soaked in and and programmed into the soul then comes back up and expels that data into the universe. And that data is then felt through everything. It is then, it can then be implemented on a universal and cosmic level. And that creates what I think that the whole universe is just moving towards constant homeostasis and constant equilibrium. And so the plan is just to keep learning, to keep moving forward and to keep balancing and shifting things together in order to create progression and to create growth. And I read this book called uh, The Cosmic Game by Stanislav Grof. um, And he talks about the concept of an oversoul, which is where it's one soul and that the lifetimes that you work through then your when your soul leaves the human body or whatever body and whatever planet 
you've incarnated on and taken form, it comes back and it brings that data to the oversoul. And the oversoul is like the cosmic hard drive of mm. all of the data and all of the karma. This is okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is cool. Cause it's kind of alluding back to the first thing that I was the, the second thing that I was talking about earlier that now I have some new thoughts on. So when um, I, I use the word God, sorry for whoever that's a trigger for, I, <laughs> I invite you to like dig into that trigger and maybe yeah. ask why it's so intense to hear that word. But when, when the big bang happened, when the universe was set into motion, like, I'm just thinking of this now, like what would be the point of already creating a thing in perfect homeostasis? Like, how could you possibly conceptualize um what like what exists now even on earth like how could you conceptualize that from a place of nothing i don't think you could what you could is create life like just create life create the conditions necessary for a living thing to exist yeah um as a plant and then as you know a little mic a little fucking microscopic water organism and then like a fish with feet and then primates and whales and whatever came subsequently but if the the overarching goal was to reach a state of homeostasis but you don't know how to get there and time is not linear time is a big multi have, have you watched um have you watched the good place uh yeah i think i watched the first season of it you know, like the Jeremy Baramy thing that they use to describe time. It's just like this crazy loop and loop and there's all kinds of loops and it all comes back together. But like, they're like, that's what time is. Yeah. And I don't know if that's right, but essentially it's not, it's not like this. It's something much more intricate that we can't really comprehend. It's all happening yeah. all at once. It's all simultaneous. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But if, and I don't know if this makes sense in any theoretical way, but if, there's kind of an end game result, which isn't like the end of all things. It's just where we're working towards, which is homeostasis and unity. Um, and our soul or the oversoul knows that that's what we need to get to. And then the reincarnation is almost working back in linear time to like, okay, what do we need to do in order to reach this place? Like we know we're here. So now we go back to this lifetime and like set the wheel in motion for this thing to happen in the future. Because without me living this lifetime now, like I'm not going to do that thing that it impacts that person and leads to that other thing that ultimately leads to that. So it's like our reincarnation is time traveling to make sure a particular sequence of events eventually comes to fruition, leading to the culmination of complete homeostasis in the universe. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible for sure. But I think that homeostasis or equilibrium or whatever things are working towards is infinite. I don't think it's mm. I don't think it's ever ending. I think it's just infinite deviations of in dimensions, in different universes, in galaxies. Cause then you can get into the multiverse theory to where there's millions of universes where this is going on. <laughs> and so it's it's like and the concept of infinity is nearly it's impossible 
for our mind to understand because that's, and that's why you can feel infinity almost. You can feel infinite or, or intelligent infinity mm. in your heart. And that's why the heart center is so important to open because it's more so of a feeling around perception than the mind just being able to like intellectualize that. But I think, I think, yeah, to what you said, like you could see what things are leading towards and then go back in a linear fashion to then create those things that you already saw or perceived. <laughs> it's all just loops. Like you said, like it's all, yeah. it's all like simultaneous. Um, but yeah, I think that that's definitely possible, but I don't think that there's an ending place. I think that is just, infinite and it's just continuing to go and like i wanted to explain this concept of time real quick yeah. that i saw on a documentary and so like 3d linear time so imagine every moment is frozen there's no movement in in every moment it's completely frozen and so imagine that you're holding up a strip of film like from a from a movie and you're seeing these moments on the film in succession and so us incarnating in a human body and moving through the frozen moments is how the perception of 3D linear time is created. Mm, yeah, I think you described <laughs> this when we were in Sedona as well. And it, yeah. and it mind fucked me then and it's mind fucking <laughs> me again now. <laughs> yeah, dude, when I heard that, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I've never thought about that before. And then so that's essentially the timeline that you can see and choose to incarnate through. Yeah. It's interesting because then I start, like I start thinking about this on like the cosmic scale, like not just, I mean, it's, it's easy. It's easy to like intellectualize this about our, I mean, maybe not easy, but like thinking about this in terms of our own like human existence and lifetime is a little simpler, but like if homeostasis is the goal who's to say that we're not actually in it right now and the earth is actually out of balance and mankind is out of balance because everything else is in balance or something else is in balance and for for everything to be in balance if we are just a piece of a much larger puzzle it actually makes sense that we're in this place um it's kind of like this like if i'm thinking of it on like a spectrum and on this side is like spirituality enlightenment and on this side is like living fully in your ego and living fully for like material world validation and appreciation, then the balance is somewhere in the middle because we are material beings and we have material things and we're meant to enjoy the pleasures of this body. So if we're all the way on this side, we're not in balance. And if we're all the way on this side, we're not in balance. And the planet Earth and humankind that inhabits it, inhabits it right now isn't like is it actually in balance i know it's not within each person like it's not in balance without within each person there's some people on this side of the scale and some people on this side of the scale but if we're thinking of it cosmically does the balance come when every person individually is somewhere in the middle there and has found that integration and balance in their own body and their own self or does it come from thinking of everything on a much larger cosmic scale, wherein some of the individuals might not be in homeostasis within themselves, but they're part of the much larger 
balance or homeostasis of existence. Yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying. I think that it's like a constant process. And I think that it's always working towards balance. And I think that like, because humans are essentially like almost like the cells of the, the earth organism that like the balance of the earth depends on the balance within human beings. And so that's why, and, and it's, it's different levels for each individual, but I think that that's why it's so important for people to be doing inner work because that is the energy that's being fed from the planet into the human being. And so by, you know, that's where we create the idea of like good and bad. So like good feelings versus bad feelings. And then we focus on the bad feelings because we're trying to problem solve and create solutions to alchemize that energy into good. And so that's where like the homeostasis is occurring in the alchemization of that energy. And so by humans being caught in the lower vibrational energies and and emotions and becoming them to what you to what we were talking about before mm. and not observing them from a place of what is my solution to this what action can i take in order to create balance in order to move towards balance cuz you're always moving towards balance uh when you're observing and so i think that the internal work and the process of remembering the truth of who you are on a soul level, on a higher dimensional level is what creates a healthier symbiotic relationship between humans and planet earth. And so when the earth consciousness can see that you're alchemizing energy and you're attempting to create balance within yourself, then it will feed you more energy. And so to help balance the planet out. And so, you know, that's why I think when people are really moving into the light and into that kind of higher, those higher vibrations and frequencies, at the same time, you're becoming more aware of the darkness and you're becoming more aware of the shadow on a collective level, on a personal level, and on a cosmic level. You're understanding di shadow dimensions of the universe because then the universe sees that you can hold these energies and that you can create balance within yourself. And so it feeds you more of it in order to balance the scales, the cosmic scales, essentially. Damn, I love that concept. And it does feel like that. The first, I mean, just speaking for myself, like the more I delve into um, the light, the more, the more I do self work, basically, yeah. the more I like actively work on becoming a, a quote unquote better person, like my higher potential, the more resistance I feel. Yeah. And that that is for sure like part of my own shadow coming up, but my own shadow exists in everything else and my shadow is everything else. Like like I love I don't remember what the what the I don't I don't know what language it's in, but it's that I am that too. Yeah. concept. Yeah. Um 
and not just on a personal level, like I'm that person, but I am all things too. And I had this real, I had this beautiful experience in Sedona after the summit um, in a Wachuma ceremony. And um, so in the Wachuma ceremony, it was, I mean, it was, it felt easy, peaceful. Wachuma is beautiful. It's like the grandfather cactus. So it was just like, you know, I was being like held in the warm embrace of my grandfather. And anytime something came up internally that would normally be like triggering or difficult to work through, I just felt like really supported. And I was like, I can do fucking anything right now. <laughs> and any, any, like any shadow comes into my field, like I'm just going to meet it with love and light and it's going to be fine. But what in ceremony, at one point, um, Bufo was offered. Um, Bufo, for those of you who don't know, is 5-MeO-DMT, which is a very um, potent psychedelic. And I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to try to describe what is happening inside of your brain when you smoke it. But um, I think it's referred to pretty often as like the God molecule. Yeah. Like it, it makes you feel everything. Like it gives you the experience of everything. And I had this moment in it where I was, I was like pretty afraid to take the first hit. So I took a very small one and uh, just like closed my eyes for a little bit. And I felt a little something, something a little like wobbliness, but it did nothing really happened. Um, so about 10 minutes later, I asked for another one. And this time I was like, I can fucking do this. I can do this. Like, I'm afraid, but I'm going to face the fear and go as deep as I can go. And so I took it, I held it, I closed my eyes, and I felt myself, like, start to go into a vision space um, that wasn't necessarily bad, but it wasn't good. It was just, like, kind of like that. It was everything. But it was really interesting. And I think this is because because this was right after the summit, this really like every shadow that I knew about and a bunch that I didn't know about got brought the fuck up and I was forced to look at them and I was forced to like at least attempt to heal them. And I know there's some that are still in there that need more work, but every day was like a cathartic emotional release and every day was work. Like it was super fun. The whole experience was fun, but it was work. It was hard. And the message I got when I almost, when I I didn't really go into the vision space and instead I just, I was kind of waiting. And the message I got was, it's okay that you already know. And when I opened my eyes, it was like, my hands were in the dirt. I'm like, oh, there I am down there. And I looked up at the stars and I was like, oh, hey, there I am up there again. And I looked at the water. I'm like, hey, that's me. Looking at the trees. I'm like, hey, hey, what's up, me? How are you doing over there? And like Autumn's hand was on my lap. I'm like, oh, hey, there's me over there touching myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, it was really beautiful because it felt like the message was, if you're doing this work, if you're choosing to go into your own shadow and into your own shadow and really face it, you don't have to have the really hard, difficult, intense experience this time. Next time you might have to face it, but this time, like, I'm going to be gentle with you. 
I'm just going to give you the feeling, the knowing, because it just felt like a knowing, like I'm all of this stuff. There's not a single thing, plant, piece of dirt, rock, fucking droplet of water in the river, star, like air, oxygen molecule that isn't also me. But that also was every shadow, every murderer, rapist, every arsonist, every Donald Trump, that's me too. I'm not exempt from the darkness. I get to be all the beautiful things, no doubt, but I also have to be all of the dark things too. And I don't, and that's the freedom of choice again, just bringing it full circle. All of those things are inside of us, but we don't have to choose to act on them. Absolutely. Oh, that was so beautiful. I am going to go to the bathroom real quick. And this is a perfect bridge because I, I have so much to unpack right there. But okay, I'll also go to the bathroom. I'll meet you back soon. Okay. <laughs> This week's episode with Ryan. As I said in the intro, we went on for about another 90 minutes after uh, we took this break, and the second half of the conversation is just as interesting as the first. So if you enjoyed this, uh, stay tuned for the second part, which will be releasing two weeks from now. And again, if you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to write us a review and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or share this with a friend if you feel called. I appreciate all of the support. I appreciate you listening. And I love you all. Till next week.